Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. Is there a way for someone to change their mazal for the better? The mazal that we're born with, can we change that? Can we make it better? Yes. Well, the Gemara tells us in Mesechet Mo'ed Katan, Tav Chavchet Amur Aleph, Amar Rava, Chaye, Bane, Umezone. Chaye is life and how, you're, how long you're going to live. Bane, children, Umezone, Parnasa, wealth. Lo bizchuta talya milta. It is not dependent on the merits of a person. Ela b'mazala talya milta. It is dependent on the mazal that the person was born with. This is a very powerful statement. Rava tells us that the whole concept of life and the length of living and everything we live for, our children, our parnasa, our wealth, it's not dependent on a merit system, but rather it depends on the mazal that the person was born with. Now this is amazing because you see Tosafot says in Mesechet Shabbat that we know en mazal li Israel, the Jewish people aren't held to the mazalot. The Jewish people are actually above the mazals of the world. So if that's the case, what are you telling me that Chaye, Bane, children, life, Mizone, Parnasa is dependent on Mazal. We're a people who aren't dependent on Mazal. Answers to Safot, an amazing answer. Answers to Safot, Mesechet Shabbat, the concept of En Mazal Israel does not mean what you thought. You know what it means? Of course, every single Jew is born with a specific Mazal, and that is your Mazal for life. However, says Tosafot, the Jew has the ability to break out and go above his mazal. He's able to change his mazal, to become so much greater and better in life. How? Says Tosafot, al zechut gadol. Through a great zechut, not a regular zechut, not a simple merit. It has to be an unbelievable merit. But with that zechut gadol, Tosafot tells us, there you can upgrade everything that we know is precious in life. Our length to live, our health, our children, the ability to have more children, our wealth and parnasah. Yes, it is held to a certain mazal. And it seems like in life, it is what it is. But you, the Jew, you can break out of it. You could upgrade it and make it so much greater, your mazal. How? Through a zechut gadol. So ladies, the million dollar question of today is, what is the zechut gadol that Tosafot is referring to that is able or to enable us to break out and go so much higher than our mazal or to upgrade our mazal to be so much better? What is that zechut gadol? Says the great Khatam Sofer, Zechet Sadiq Lebracha. He says, I have identified that Zechut Gadol of Tosafot. I know what it is. 
And I'm going to tell you the secret. This is the Zichut Kadol that could make your mazal so much greater. He says it's a pasuk. And it was hinted to us in the words of David HaMelech. The pasuk says, and we all know this pasuk, Hasam givulech shalom, chelev hetim yasbi'ech. Hasam givulech shalom. When someone makes his boundaries shalom, chelev hetim yasbi'ech. He's going to enjoy the most fruitful and enjoyable life of wealth and health and all the enjoyments of life. The fattest of the wheats, the goodness of life, is going to be given to that person, the one that makes his boundaries, peace. Now, ladies, you know, you meet a lot of people in life, and everybody out there has a boundary in life that they won't cross. And everyone claims, oh, that far I'll never go. But it's funny, the moment that certain things are put on the table, the moment there's an issue over money, suddenly those boundaries are broken. And sometimes in life you'll see different disputes, people that claim that they'll never break their boundaries of what they hold to be sacred. But then the moment it comes to their own kavod, all of a sudden, all bets are off. The great people in this world are the people that don't cross their boundaries. They will not cross their boundaries, not for money, not for kavod, because those people, the great people in this world, their boundaries is peace. Hasam givulech shalom. The one that makes his boundaries peace, you know what they're going to get? Helev hitim yasbi'ech. They're going to get satiated with the fattest and the bests of the enjoyments and the parnasah and all good in life. Make your boundaries peace and don't ever cross that boundary. That boundary is a sacred boundary. Be an advocate for peace. And in life, we have all different types of run-ins with people. But the moment it comes, the moment it comes to breaking the peace, whether it be in friendships, families, in business, in life, that's a line we're not ready to cross. And I'll tell you the truth. One of the greatest proofs to this whole concept, and this exactly is where the Khatam Sofer is coming from. He says, you know, when it comes to certain areas, they trump. When it comes to areas of halakha, when it comes to area of hashkafa, we don't bend. Certain areas, there's nothing to talk about. The Pasuk says, Emet v'shalom ehavu. Emet comes first, peace comes after that. We don't break halakha to make peace. Halakha stands by itself. Hashkafa stands by itself. But after that, anything that deals, ben adam l'chavero, when we have different relationships in life with people, that is governed by peace. And that's a line that we're not ready to break. That's not a line we're ready to cross. The biggest proof is the parashah of Korach. Ladies, did you know that Korach was the number three man in Klal Yisrael? Right after Moshe and Aharon, you know who came right next? The third of the Gidole Hador of that generation? That was Korach. He was a great man. 
Don't get misled. Korach was a great man. He was also one of the wealthiest men of his time. He was one of the richest men in the world and by far the richest Jew at that time. So he was the wealthiest. He was one of the greatest. He had one of the greatest stature of honor in Klal Yisrael. You know what his job was? Korach was the one that actually was from the bearers, the carriers of the Aaron. He had the Aaron resting on his shoulder. The badim of the Aaron was held by the hands of Korach. If you weren't a great man, you couldn't touch the Aaron and live. But that's how great he was. So here's a man who, he had it all. The richest, the most prominent, status, kavod, honor, greatness, the third of Gidolei Hador. But yet, he broke the peace. And the moment he broke that boundary of peace, in one moment, everything he had was gone. In one moment, the ground opened from underneath him and he lost everything. Says the Khatam Sofer, take a look. Here's my proof that what I'm telling you is right. Here is the guy who had the greatest mazal in the world. Korach was the biggest bar mazal you've ever met. Everything he touched turned to gold. He had the Midas touch. Korach had the wealth. He had everything. He had sons. He had family. He had unbelievable stature. And in one second, the ground opened from underneath him, and it all was gone. Why? Because this is the Zechut Gadol that Tosafot told you about that can break the Mazal, both for the good, but also for the opposite. Korach went and he broke the rule. He broke the line of peace. He instigated a machloket in Klal Yisrael. And even if he had the right intentions and all the different pshatim that we come to say, but at the end of the day, he broke the peace in the Jewish people. He made one of the worst machloket. At that moment, he crossed the gvul. He crossed the line of peace. And that's the moment that he lost it all. Says the Khatam Sofer, let's learn from this. If here's a guy who's the biggest bar mazal and he lost everything in a second because he broke the peace, could you imagine the reward for the person who reinstates the peace? Could you imagine the reward for the person who's the advocate of peace? The one who's the peacemaker, who's going to go out and beyond, taking the extra mile to ensure the peace and reinstore peace between people, families, friends, neighbors. Just like Korach who broke the peace. He lost everything in a second and his mazal was shattered. So too, the one that will reinstore peace the one that's an advocate for peace, in one second, they can break out of their mazal and they can go up so high in all the areas of wealth, health, children, and life. He says, that's what I learned from the story of Korach. Here's a line that we should never cross. If this is the case, we would just give in a recipe for success like no other. This, says the Khatam Sofer, is a secret that every Jew must harbor inside. And when you come to that opportunity, and in life, we get these peace opportunities every day. 
Every day we come across situations where something is brewing. It could be in a family where suddenly we see we can ward off a fight. If only we'd step in quick enough and be able to calm everyone down and be able to clear up things because so many times it was over nothing. It was generally over a miscommunication. Or maybe we know two people that haven't been talking for years and we could step in like an Aharon HaKohen and we could restore, reinstore that peace by telling both sides how each one misses the other to such an extent. And suddenly you'll see magic. You'll see fireworks. The most beautiful thing to witness, two people coming back together in a loving peace. Says the Khatam Sofer, here's the secret. You want to know if there's any possible way to change your mazal for the better? This is the zechut gadol that Tosafot was talking about. This is the one zechut that brought down Korach because he broke the rule and it can bring any Jew up as high as they want in a split second with the greatest of life. But he needs the zechut of peace. I'd like to tell you an amazing story. I heard this story from the Meshulach in Israel and later on I verified it from the house of Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Shalita. Reb Elyaoman, he's the Gabai of Reb Chaim Kanievsky. And he says that one day he got a phone call from the Ger Hasid from Yerushalayim. And the Hasid told him, he says, Rabbi, listen, uh, my daughter is engaged. She's going to be married. Is that the Shem in a few weeks? Or at least she was supposed to be married in a few weeks. The invitations already went all out. And suddenly we just got a phone call. And I don't know what to do. Only yesterday we got a call that notified us that the Hatan, the Hatan of my daughter, he was just diagnosed with cancer. And we don't know what to do. He's such a good kid, such a good guy, from such a good family. But Law Aleinu, he was just diagnosed. We don't know what to do. So I went to the Gera Rebbe, says the Gera Hasid. And I asked the Gera Rebbe, what should I do? And after he heard the whole story, he turned to me and said, I'm sorry, but I can't give you an answer. He says, I didn't know what to do. I never heard my Rebbe tell me something like that. I never heard for the Gerarebi Baruch HaKodesh, but he didn't want to answer. So I went to a different Gadol, and I told him the entire story and what I'm going through. And he too, he told me, I'm sorry. That's a question that's, I can't give an answer. The only one, they told me, that can give you an answer for this question is the Sar HaTorah himself, the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky Shalita, Go to Reb Chaim, go to Bnei Brak. He says, Rabbi, because of this I'm calling you, you're the Gabai of Reb Chaim Kanievsky, please. Can you make me an appointment? I'd like to come with the Chatan and the Kala and both families. We'd like to sit in front of the Rav and whatever he tells us, we'll do. The next day, they were given an appointment. The girl, the Kala with her father and mother, the boy, the Chatan with his parents, they both came to Bnei Brak, and there they are sitting in front of the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky. The Chatan opens up and begins to speak. Chatan turns to Reb Chaim and says, Harav, 
I accept upon myself this that Shamayim put on me. And whatever this diagnosis is, I accept Ba'ahava. If it's from Hashem, it's the best. But Haraf, there's no reason why this girl should have to go through it. There's no reason why this girl should have to start Arshanari Shona in the room with chemo with a husband. Harav, I insist that the wedding should be off. I love this girl too much. I don't want to see her starting her life like this with her husband. This is not the way her Shanari Shona was meant to look. I demand that the wedding is off. And it's at that moment that the Kala pipes in and says, Harav, forgive me. Forgive me for piping in. Forgive me for interjecting. But Harav, I'm accepting upon myself what Hashem sent to my Hatan. When would be a more important time to be there for my husband than now? I insist that the wedding goes on. I insist in being there with him throughout the whole Orech HaDerech. And if he's going to be there in the rooms, and he's going to be under chemotherapy, I want to be there with him. I want to be his strength. I want to give him Hezuk. I insist the wedding goes on. When he asked me to marry him, and I said that I want to be his wife, what type of wife could I be if I'm not going to be there for him now? I insist the wedding goes on. Chaim looks at these two. He couldn't believe his ears. Rebel Yaman, who's the Gabai of Reb Chaim, was in the room listening to the whole story go back and forth. And Rebel Yaman says, he says, I put both my hands on my head and I just was shaking my head back and forth thinking I heard it all. He says, I thought it was Purim. He says, Vinahafuchu. He couldn't believe it. How each one was taking the other one's side. No one expected the two of them to come in with this question. Everyone expected that each one was probably going to pull to their own good, their own benefit, their own side, their own interests. But instead the opposite. And instead the Hatan was crying over the life of the Kala. And the Kala was crying over the situation of her Hatan. And how neither of them wanted to even look at what was good for themselves. Just not to break the other one. Rabbi Chaim smiles at the two of them. He looks at Chatan and Kala. And he says, he puts his hand on the table to give a psak. And he says, I paskin that the two of you should get married. And the wedding should continue. And you'll build a bayit ne'aman Israel, And I give a blessing to this hatan. That he should have a complete refuah shalema. And this will be a family that will have great talmidei chachamim. When the hatan and kala heard this, they both broke down crying. The parents, you could imagine, got very emotional. Everyone jumped up and they screamed, Mazel tov! That's it! That's the psak. The wedding's going on. And we have the blessing of the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky. And Reb Chaim was so moved by these two, by this Chatan and Kala. He was so moved. Well, ladies, three weeks later, the wedding, the wedding did go on. And sure enough, it came to that magnificent night. The night of nights for this Chatan and Kala, their night, the night of their wedding. 
And that night the wedding began and the simcha was unbelievable and the chuppah was magnificent and everyone escorted Chatan and Kala out to the dance floor and everyone started dancing. Meanwhile, Rebellion Man, back in the house of Reb Chaim Kanievsky, he turns to the great Gadol and he says, Reb Chaim, do you know what tonight is? Tonight is the wedding of that Chatan and Kala that was by you three weeks ago. Do you remember? The, the, that, that amazing case where you gave him the psak to get married. The boy that was diagnosed, Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim says, yeah, of course I remember. He says, Reb Chaim, tonight's the wedding. Reb Chaim, what do you think? What do you think? I know that you don't go to weddings, you don't even leave your house, he hardly even goes out. But you know how much it would mean to this Chatani Kala if you would show up even for five minutes by that wedding. It's here in Bnei Brak, on the other side of the city, I'll drive you. Would you go? Reb Chaim says, 100%. Let's go. Rebel Yaman brought the car, they helped Reb Chaim out to the car. They brought Reb Chaim out to the wedding, the other side of Bnei Brak. Ladies, you got to picture this now for a moment. I don't know how to describe this to you in, in, you know, in the best of ways, but think a moment of a dance floor with dancing and singing and the men's on one side of the mechitzah, the ladies on the other side of the mechitzah, and the place is really sameach, and they're popping and bopping up and down and screaming and dancing. And then suddenly, the doors to that wedding hall opens. And in walks Reb Chaim Kanievsky Shalita with his entire entourage of people. And suddenly, the whole wedding stops. Even the musicians were like, and it went quiet. Everyone turned on, they couldn't believe their eyes. You'd have a better chance of Elioan Navi walking into that room. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, the Gadol Hador. Everyone stopped. And then suddenly, one musician snapped out of that moment. And he started playing the famous song that they always play for the Gidolim. Yamim al Yemim Melech Tosif. And they started playing. And the whole crowd ran and engulfed themselves around the entourage of Chaim Kanievsky. And they walked with him to the middle of the floor. And the Chatani saw Reb Chaim and he started crying. He couldn't believe Reb Chaim Kanievsky by his wedding. He grabbed Reb Chaim's hand. Reb Chaim took his cane and he was hanging his cane on his arm. And he was dancing with this Chatan for five minutes back and forth. And, back, and nobody moved. They just watched the Chatan and the Gadol Hador dancing together in a circle. It was a moment of moments. And then right there, on the dance floor, Reb Chaim turns to the Chatan, takes his hand, and again, he gives him a beracha and the zechut of you and the kala and what you did for each other and how you went out for your kala and how she went out for you and how you were so unbelievable to you. He gave him a blessing that he should recover and have a speedy recovery, and that he should have children Shalom Bayit, Nahat, and all the blessings. And it's with that Reb Chaim turns around with the entourage and they walk out of the wedding. As Reb Chaim comes into the car on the outside, Reb Yaman was sitting there with a big smile and he says to Reb Chaim, he says, Haraf, 
I've been your shamosh now for 20 some odd, 30 some odd years, whatever it is. I never once questioned anything you've ever said, nor did I ever ask you of why or where on any psak you've ever given. But Haraf, I have to ask you this. You got to tell me this. How were you able to give that psak? How were you able to tell this girl to start out a life like that when she could have just walked away and everyone would have understood her? How were you able to give a psak like that? And Reb Chaim smiles and he turns to Reb Yaman and he says, What do you mean? It's a medrash mefurash in parashat Noah. Now, you know, when you hear these stories, you see what it means, someone who knows the entire Torah on his fingertips, to pull out a medrash in parashat Noah, to be able to make a psak like this. For us earthlings, that is a wow. Wow. What medrash is he referring to? Reb Chaim turns Rebbe Yaman and says, you don't know the Midrash in Parshat Noach? He says, no, tell me. He says, the Midrash in Parshat Noach says that Alexander the Great once came to a kingdom known as Katsia. And there in Katsia, on the other side of the world, this small kingdom was known to have very upstanding and very great people. Alexander the Great wasn't coming to fight Katsia. He wasn't coming to conquer Katsia. He was coming to observe the ways of the good people. When his word, his name, was spread through the kingdom, the king of Katsia came out to meet Alexander. And he said to Alexander the Great, Alexander, here's a present I have for you, a bag of gold and silver as a welcoming present. Alexander says, King, I don't need your gold or silver. I have more gold and silver than I could ever even think of. Rather, Your Majesty, I am here only to observe the good people of Katsia. I want to observe the people. I want to observe your judicial system. I want to observe your laws. I hear that you're very special. The king says, if that's the case, then come in with me to the courthouse. I am the judge, said the king. I sit in judgment every day at this time. You'll come now. You'll see our ways. Alexander walks into this large courtroom. And there the king sits up on top as the judge. In walks the next case. Two men walk in. One man, he represents himself as the buyer, and the other as the seller. The buyer says, your majesty, your honor, I bought a piece of land from this gentleman, the seller. And after I bought this land for very cheap, it was not exactly the best piece of land. That's why I got it for so cheap. As I start digging up that land that I bought, all of a sudden, my shovel hits metal. Tink! What is that? I start digging deeper. Suddenly I realize there's a treasure chest. Down below, on the bottom of this, this little piece of land that I bought, I pulled out the treasure. It was filled with gold and silver and diamonds and rubies. It was a fortune of a fortune. Your honor, this treasure chest, Yes, it was inside the ground. But I didn't have in mind to buy it at the time that I bought the ground. This doesn't belong to me. So I came to the seller and I told him, uh, my friend, you know, I found this treasure chest in the ground that you sold me, but I only bought the ground, not what was in it. This belongs to you. Here, take the treasure. 
And the seller starts screaming to me, no, I sold you the ground. Once I sold you the ground and you are the one who uncovered the treasure chest. So you're the one that gets the treasure, not me. And in court, they start fighting back and forth. The seller says, it belongs to you. The buyer says, no, I never had mine for any treasure. It belongs to you. I only bought a piece of ground. That treasure was yours all along. And they're fighting back and forth. The king smiles. He looks at Alexander and he smirks as to tell him, take a look. These are the people here in Katsia. These are fine people. Alexander was very impressed. He couldn't believe his ears. Suddenly the king smiles and he says, gentlemen, I have a psak. I'm ready to give my judgment. Everyone goes quiet. The king turns to the buyer. Tell me, sir, uh, you found the treasure chest in the ground, right? Do you have a son? He says, yeah. He turns to the seller. Do you have a daughter? He says, yes. I would like the two of them to get married. And I'd like the two of you, the father of the groom and the father of the bride, to take this joint treasure chest and give it to the couple to start their life in wealth and happiness. That's my psak. And everyone loved the judgment. Everyone went, wow, beautiful judgment. And they were very happy as well. At that moment, the king turns to Alexander the Great and he says to him, Alexander, so now you see our system of judgment here in Katsia. Alexander smiles and he says, yes, very impressive, your majesty. The king turns to Alexander and says, but Alexander, tell me, if you were the judge, what would you, what would you have judged on such a case? Alexander says, I'll tell you the truth, your majesty. I would have killed the buyer. I would have killed the seller. And I would have taken the treasure chest for myself. That's the truth. Says the king, that's right. That's why you're a general and I'm a king. Because in order to run some place or something or a society that is special, it has to be built on the feelings of others and the line of peace. And that's one boundary we don't cross. It's an amazing concept. And how over the years we realized this. Says Ruchaim Kanievsky, from that Midrash, you know what I learned? I learned that when someone takes the other person's side, when someone actually is ready to be mevater and to give up on their own interests and rather to give in for the interest of the other person, I found out in life and I see from this Midrash that those people never lose and they always come out winning. And if that's the case, said Reb Chaim, that's how I was able to give the psak with this chatan in kala. The moment I heard that she was taking his side, and the moment I saw that he was taking her side, I said to myself, this is the Midrash in Noach, and there's no way that these two will ever come out losing. They must come out winning. Because they're ready to be mevater for somebody else, not to break the other person. Not to break the peace. The great Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zechet Sadiq Lebracha, he was the one who said it. He used to say all the time. People used to ask Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky when his children were engaged to the children of other families. They would come in and say, Rabbi Yaakov, 
What's the minhag of your family when it comes to the chuppah? What's the minhag of your family when it comes to the wedding? Do you do like this? Do you do like that? And you know his answer always was? We always make the weddings according to the minhag of the other side. Our minhag is whatever the in-laws hold. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was known to say a great line. He was known to tell people, you know, people out there think that when someone is mivater and they give up for the sake of others and their needs, when someone gives in to keep the peace, people always call those people, oh, wow, look at such a tzaddik. Oh, how righteous. Oh, what about midot? Says Rabbi Yaakov, you got it all wrong. It's not tzaddik and it's not balmidot. Those people, they're chacham. They're very smart. Because he says, I've never seen yet someone who gave in to keep the peace for others and ended up losing. They always end up winning in the end. And if that's the case, hasam givulech shalom. If you're going to make your boundary peace and you're ready to give in for the sake of that peace, and you're ready to give up for others, as not to crush others, as not to fight with others. You know what? Your inevitable end always will be. You'll get the fattest of the wealth and the good and the enjoyments of life. Says Khatam Sofer, I got it. This is it. This is the only way for a person to break out of their mazal trend and to be able to upgrade and make their mazal to the best and the greatest. And that is with the zechut gadol of Tosafot. And here it is. It's the line of peace. Become a purveyor and an advocate for peace and you'll see a good life. I'd like to just end with a very moving story. This is a story that I heard years ago. This story takes a lot out of me. But nonetheless, I'd like you to hear it. A story I heard years ago from a Rebbe of mine. I found it in a book years later. This is a story that goes back to the old Yishuv in Jerusalem. In the days of the guardian of Yerushalayim, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, the great Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. It's amazing how in every society, in every community, when it comes to the concept of Shiduchim, it's never, or maybe not simple of a concept. There was a boy that lived in those years in Jerusalem. He was what you would call a Shadchan's or Shadchanit's dream. This was the boy who had it all. His name was Moshe Katzover. Moshe Katzover was tall, and he was handsome, and he was learned, and he came from an excellent family. He came from a father that was well-to-do. He came from a long background and lineage of great people. Moshe Katzover was from the prominent Yerushalmi families at that time living in Jerusalem in the early 1900s. Moshe Katzover was part of the yeshiva of Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, and he was considered in the yeshiva one of the best guys. There was only one thing that really was a heartbreak to the old Shadchaniot that used to come and hound him day in, day out with different Shiduchim. And that was, Moshe was still young and so involved in his learning that he just didn't want to give that up yet. He wanted just another year in learning, just a little bit more time, 
I'm, I'm, I'm almost confident in my feelings of where should I be in learning. At that time, he was 22. He wanted to start dating in another year. And no matter how many times they came knocking on his door, all the Rebetzins and all the Shadchaniot of the city, but Moshe always said, with great, great respect, but please, I can't thank you enough for thinking about me. And in truth, I know the girls you're bringing me are the best in Jerusalem. However, I'll tell you the truth. I just want to learn for a little bit more. Please, if you could just wait another year. And he would tell this to everybody. And everybody knew. Every time he walked down the block and another Shadchani would lay eyes on him and he would say, "Eh, please, one more year. This went on for some time. Well, one day, one of the Rebetzins were coming down one of the streets of Jerusalem and she was walking right by the yeshiva. And who was standing outside at the door of the yeshiva? None other than Moshe Katsover. And Moshe was standing there with a smile. He was looking, waiting for his havutat to come. And instead, who comes walking down the block? The Rebetzin, who was the Tapshad Chanit of Jerusalem at that time. And she says, Moshe, what brings you outside at this time? Moshe says, oh, Rebetzin, I'm so happy that you came down the block. I actually was going to pay you a visit. What? You're going to pay me a visit? Oh, Moshe, tell me. Tell me, what can I do for you? Rebetzin, listen, it's like this. I need a really, really special girl. I, I need a girl, I know, don't get me wrong, every Jewish girl is amazing, don't get me wrong, but I need a girl that's a true Eshet Chayim. And, and listen, it's not about money, it's not about lineage, it's not about looks. I need a girl that's just going to be an amazing Eshet Chayim. She's going to really want a husband that's learning. She's going to want a husband to stand by his side. She's going to be one that's going to build a bait Ne'eman with her husband with real genuine feeling. Do you have a girl like that? The Rebetzin grew six feet tall. Do I have a girl like that? Do you know how many unbelievable girls are in Jerusalem? But Moshe, for a boy like you, I can give you a girl with all that and so much more. Moshe says, no, 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 wait, wait, one second, Rebetzin, you got it all wrong. Now, not asking for me. I told you. I'm not dating for another year. I'm still learning, but my Havruta, Avrami, Avrami Singer, he, he's an amazing guy, but he's, he's not really into the things that most other guys go for. Yes, he wants a decent looking girl, don't get me wrong, but he's not into the money or the yichus or the li. He just wants a true eshet, heil of a girl. Something so special. Do you have such a girl? Well, at that moment, the Rabbani, the Rebetzin, she deflated at that moment, thinking she had the catch of the city right there on her fingertips. She thought she won the lottery of the early 1900s. But she says, okay. So show me who is this guy. Just then, who comes walking by? His Havruta, Avram. Moshe smiles. He says, Avram, I'll be inside in a moment. He turns to the rabbit and that's him. What do you think? He's a great guy. He's a Talmud Chacham. You don't understand. He's one of the best guys in the yeshiva. The rabbit and her eyes opens wide. Wow. He looks like a great boy. He's also tall like you. He's also handsome like you, Moshe. But Moshe, you sure you're not? He said, no, 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 please. Let's not go over this again. I'm talking just for my Havruta. 
Avram, Avrami, please, do you have somebody? She says, I actually, I do. An Eshet Chayel like you've never met. A girl that's a gem of a gem. And if you're telling me that he's not into money, and if you're telling me he's not into lineage, and he's looking just for that perfect balmidot of a girl, I have a girl. She's an orphan. She has no parents. And she fell on the community of Jerusalem that everyone together took the responsibility to find her a great shiduch. This poor girl, she hasn't gone out with anybody. And so far we haven't found too many people that be willing to go out with an orphan girl. But I tell you, if he's really looking for Eshet Chayel, then the girl he's looking for is Bela Krendel. She's the orphan girl that the Jerusalem community has taken upon themselves to marry. Moshe thinks, he says. So tell me, when can they meet? Moshe, if you want, tomorrow night they can come meet by my house. I'll have Bela Krendel by my house. And you tell your Chavruta Avrami to come pick her up. And let's see what Hashem is going to bring out of this. The date was set. Moshe goes back into the Bet Midrash. She pulls out Avrami. He says, Avrami, listen. I'm telling you, I got the dream of a dream for you. Don't worry. You'll see. Yes, she's an orphan. But remember, you always told me you wanted a true Eshet Chaim. Remember, you always told me it wasn't about money. or You wanted the most special of special girls. Balmi, I got it. This is the girl for you. The things I heard about her from the Rabbanit, from the Rebetzin, this is the girl you were waiting for. Avrami, you seemed interested. He says, tell me, did she tell you what she looks like? He says, no, not really, but tomorrow night you'll find out. The next night, Moshe comes over to the Rebetzin's house. He says, Rebetzin, Avrami's going to be here in an hour. Does Bela Krendel know to come? He says, yes. Before Moshe leaves, the Rebetzin says, uh, Moshe, let me just ask you something. Bela Krendel, she doesn't really see that well. She has very thick glasses. Do you think that that would turn Avrami off? He says, nah, nah he can get pissed. Oh, there's one more thing. She can't really hear that well. She hears every other word or so. But do you think maybe he'll have the patience to repeat himself a few times? Because when I went to her to tell her about this great boy that wants to take her out tonight, and who knows, maybe she'll become a kala. She said to me, Chala? So, you think he'll have the patience to... Yeah, he's a patient guy. Oh, if that's the case, then there's a good shot. With that, Moshe walks out. And he starts saying to Helim. And he says to himself, Oh boy, Borei Olam, you're the only one that can do this. A poor orphan girl. But my Avrami is really looking for someone special. An hour later, Avrami comes over to the house of the Rebetzin. And there inside was waiting Bela Krendel, the orphan girl. Avrami comes in with a big smile. Bela sees him, she stands up out of honor and respect. She gives a big smile. The two of them, for a moment, they looked at each other. And then they walked outside and they took the old Yerushalmi date. They walked around the corner and they went around the block. And the Rabbanit, the Rebetzin, stood by the window. And from years and years of doing shiduchim, she knew right already from the beginning 
if there would be something to this or not. It's something like the hakafot of Simchat Torah. Depending how many hakafot they go around the block, <laughs> it's going to depend on how much real potential does this shiduch have. Well, here they come, rounding their first round, and the rabbanit, the shadchanit, is sitting there with a tehillim by the window, and she's saying tehillim, and she sees, oh look, here they come. And then she watches as Avrami and Bela Krendel comes walking up for their first round. But they seem very deep in the conversation. And they don't stop. They're going around for a second round. The Robinson says, oh boy, I got to keep saying, she keeps saying Tehillim. She keeps saying Tehillim. They go around for a second round. And then they come around for a third Hakafa. The Rabbanit already is shaking. She says, this might really have a shot. They come around for the fourth Hakafa. She was already reaching for the L'chaim bottle. This is it. Get out the glasses, she tells her husband. This is a live one we caught. Finally, they come around the fifth time and they stop by the front door. Avrami, his face is smiling. Bela Krendel, her face looks like she's floating in heaven. The two of them walk in and she turns to Avrami and says, No, can we drink a Lachaim? Avrami says, Yes. The Rebbitson couldn't believe it. She screams, Mazel Tov! Bela Krendel turns around. The Rebbitson kisses her. Mazel Tov! What? Mazel Tov! What? Ma You're a Kala! I'm a Kala? I'm a Kala? Bela Krendel started crying. The Rabbanit started crying. The moment that no one in Jerusalem believed could ever happen. Bela Krendel, the orphan girl who could hardly see and could hardly hear. And she's a kala to one of the best boys in Jerusalem, Avrami Singer. And when, and, and, and when the Rabbanit screamed that Mazel Tov, it sounded like the whole city heard her. And at that moment, the word spread like fire. Everybody heard. Everybody heard. Well, the next day, Avrami comes into yeshiva and everyone was hugging him. <clears throat> everyone was giving him mazel tov. And Moshe, Moshe Katzover, his chavruta comes in and says, Avrami, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy to have been a part of this mazel tov. And he gives him such a hug. But he sees on Avrami's face that Avrami is still somewhat thinking. He says, Avrami, is everything okay? He says, yeah, everything's fine. Is there something bothering you? He says, no, she's an amazing girl. I just, I hope, I hope that we'll be able to have a beautiful wedding. He says, of course, didn't you hear? Yeah, she's an orphan girl, but the whole city is coming together to make the wedding for this girl. You have nothing to worry about. Your wedding will be as beautiful as anybody's wedding. And sure enough, a month later, in the little town city square of Jerusalem, everybody of Yerushalayim and the old Yishuv came out, including the great Gadol, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, who was the Misader Kiddushin for his Talmud, Avrami Singer. And there, there wasn't a dry eye in the audience. Everybody was crying. The crowd was crying. When Bela Krendel came out in her white dress, with her white veil, no one ever thought that they'd actually see her dressed like a kala, 
look how great Hashem is. And the music began. And Bela Crandall came walking down the aisle, but she had no parents. Who walked her down? None other than the Rebetzin and her husband, the rabbi, who walked her down the aisle to the great Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, who was waiting underneath to be Misader Kedushin. The Chatan was already standing under the chuppah with his parents with a big smile as a Avrami singer was sitting, standing under the chuppah with the strimal on his head as they used to give for the Chatan to wear. And then the Kala came. Kala Naeva Hasuda. And the wedding began. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, he turns to the Chatan and he says, do you have the ring? He says, yes. Moshe Katzover, one of the Edim, he hands the ring to his Chavruta, Avrami. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld turns to Avrami the Chatan and says, okay, take the ring and put it on her finger and repeat after me the words, Hare'at mikudeshet li b'tabadzu. Avrami takes the ring and suddenly his hand starts to shake. But such a shaking, uncontrollably he couldn't stop himself. Then he closes his eyes and he turns to Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld and he says, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I just can't do it. He turns to Bela Kreindel and he says, Bela, I hope you could forgive me one day for this. I can't do it. And with that, he takes off the strimal. He puts the ring inside the strimal and he hands the strimal over to someone. And he runs off. And Bela Kreindel, who's not really understanding what's going on, she starts screaming, wait, where are you going? The whole crowd was quiet. And no one could say a word. Not even Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zanafeld. And suddenly people started to cry. And Bela was dazed. And she didn't still know what was going on. But there was hush. And then suddenly a voice came from behind the chuppah and the voice said, I will marry Bela Crandall. The whole room, everybody turned. Who is that? And there he stood. The most sought after guy in Jerusalem. Moshe Katzover. Moshe walks up and he says to Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, I'm going to marry Bela Crandall. She's not going to walk off tonight as anything less than the kalad that she wants to be tonight. I would like to marry her. If Bela Crandall is willing to marry me, I'm willing to marry her. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld turns to Bela Crandall, the orphan girl, and he says to her, are you willing to marry Moshe Katzover? At that moment, all the shadchaniot in the crowd fainted. <laughs> Moshe Katzover! Moshe Katzover! He is the Shadchanid's dream. He can have any girl in Jerusalem he wants. No. I want to marry Bela Crandall. Rabbi Yosef Chaim, he turns to Bela Crandall. Are you ready to, would you be willing to marry Moshe Katzel? What? Would you be willing to marry Moshe Katzover? She couldn't believe her ears. She looked up. And she looked at Rabbi Yosef Chaim and says, he wants to marry me? He says, yeah, he wants to marry you. 
then I want to marry him. Something happened at that moment. <coughs> at that moment, Bela Crandall started to hear. At that moment, Bela Crandall was so entombed. At that moment, Moshe Katzover took the strangle and put it on his own head. And he took the ring. Rabbi Yosef Chaim says, but wait, we can't use that ring. That's not your ring. How are we going to marry you? Moshe Katzover says, well, I'll tell you the truth, Harav. It is my ring. I bought it for Avrami. And I was giving it to him to marry her. But if he, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't marry her, then it's still my ring. Rabbi Yosef Chaim said, uh huh. So the Abishta made you buy that ring. You thought it was for him, but that's your wedding ring. It was with those words that he put the ring on Bela Crandall's finger saying, Rabbi Yosef Chaim, he turned to the crowd of Yerushalayim and he said in front of everyone, I'm giving a special beracha to this Chatanin Kala. For what everyone has seen here tonight, we've never seen before. How someone would be ready to go so far out not to break another person. How someone would be ready to go so far out to keep a person from breaking apart, to keep a peace, to keep something so special, to give in at times for the sake of someone else. Moshe Katzover says Rabbi Yosef Chaim, I'm giving you a benachat tonight. You and your kala, Brindle. I'm going to give you a beracha that you should have sons, Tamidei Chachamim, and you should be able to be from the ones that are going to support the Yishuv of Eretz Yisrael. And you're going to live a long and healthy life. You know what beracha Yosef Chaim gave him? The beracha of the Gemara we started with. Amarava. Chaye, Bane, Umizone. Yes, normally these three things are held to mazal, but there's one way to break that mazal's trend to the highest of the highest, to make your mazal go up to the highest degree it can in one split second. And what is that? The zechut gadol of tosafot. The person that's ready to go out for the peace of others. And that was Moshe Katsover. Who, ladies, you want to hear this? This wedding took place in the early 1900s. Moshe Katsover told over this story, the Chatan. He only passed away a few years ago, at the age of 106 years old. From the original and the only people surviving the old Yeshiva of Jerusalem, the one that Hassam Givulech Shalom, his boundary was peace. He never crossed that boundary. And in one split second, his mazal took off to the moon. He lived a life of many wonderful Tamidei Chachamim, sons, grandsons, and great-grandsons that he was able to see. And they said he had a magnificent marriage with this girl who really turned out to be an amazing Eshet Hayel. Chaye, 106 years old. Bane, grandsons, great-grandsons. Umzone, he was from the wealthiest men who held the Yishuv of Jerusalem for over literally a century. One split second, life and mazal took off for the person that made his boundary peace. 
Let's never cross that boundary. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.